that he might reinforce that with what I say uh, on Sundays. But also there's a message for us as a whole church, not just for individuals, but for a whole church. So we need to understand our freedom in Christ, then live it out so that people see it. And what does that look like for us day by day, week by week? I'm going to start with the first five verses of Galatians chapter 1 and we've got a few people on Zoom, have we, Aaron? So hopefully, welcome to those folk and hopefully you'll be able to hear what God's saying to you today as well. So I'm going to read this through from Galatians chapter 1 verses 1 to 5. And Paul is the author of this book. He's the author of this letter. We'll talk about why he wrote it in a moment and who he wrote it to, but this is what he wrote to the people that he was sending this letter out to. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Look at where he started. He started by pointing people to God and to Jesus. Verse 2, and all the brothers with me. So he's got a a group of people that are travelling with him and he's writing from them to the churches in Galatia. This is what he says initially, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What a great... I don't know how you introduce your emails or your letters. Uh, do, you say, do you say all that? Probably not if you're not writing to a Christian person. But this was the introduction to his letter to the churches of Galatia. And he wanted them to sit up and take notice of what they were going to hear and what was going to be read to them. So this is where. So what's God saying to us out of these verses today? That's all we're going to look at. We're going to look at some other supporting passages. But what's God saying to us today out of this introduction to Galatians, to the letter? Well, first of all, it talks about Paul. Paul was an apostle. He was the one that was the author of the letter. Then it talks about recipients. The recipients were the churches in southern Galatia and... Uh, these were churches that Paul established or founded on his, one of his missionary journeys. He went, he went to the towns of um, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, and, and you can read about that in Acts chapter 13 and chapter 14 of Acts. And this letter to the churches of Galatia was a circular letter. And what do I mean by that is it was meant to be passed on from church to church. So they'd read it out in Antioch, they'd read it out in Iconium, they'd read it out in Lystra, they'd read it out in Derba, Derby, and then they'd go back again and do the same again. So people got it into their heads. It was a circular letter. Interestingly enough, as you read this letter, you might discover, when you compare Paul's other letters to other churches, that this is the only letter written by Paul does not, that does not come, contain some form of praise for his listeners. All the other churches... That he'd letters that he wrote to, wrote to them, had this element of praise for their faith in Jesus. This one doesn't. And to me that says this was a, a way of Paul showing his di- displeasure or his disappointment with the Galatian Christians and that he had something significant to say to them. The problem was, oh, go back. Oh, so where is it? That's right, I knew I was going somewhere with that. Where is Galatia? So if you know the Mediterranean area, you'll see Spain over on your left and, and you know Israel's over on the right there. Where that red mark is, is right in the middle of what we now know as Turkey, as the land of Turkey. And that was the region called Galatia that Paul went to. A little bit clearer there, hopefully, 
that's the country of Turkey as it stands to today. And those towns that I mentioned there before uh, don't exist in, in modern Turkey. They, they're called by different names, but the ones that Paul went to in particular were Antioch, um, Iconium, Lystra and Derby. That's the centre. Anybody been to that area and, and on a tour? Some people have. Yeah, a few people have been over in that area uh, and, and seen some of the um, historic uh, land, so- land sites. But certainly that's the focus of Paul's letter to the Galatians. And it's probably good for us to understand that because most of these people that he was writing to were not Jewish people. They were Gentile people. They were non-Jews. So he had a message specifically for the church that had been established there in one of his earlier journeys to raise an area of concern and to correct that concern. And that's what he was writing to them about. The problem was that there were false teachers in the church. And these false teachers were called, were, were called Judaizers. They were people who were saying that the, uh, the faith's important. Everybody must believe in Jesus. But there's also got to be that works aspect, that faith plus works e- equals salvation. They were saying faith plus works equals salvation. Now, what works were they talking about? They were talking about the works of circumcision uh, because they were Jews, the Judaizers. And they were saying, no, 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 faith in Jesus is okay. But to be a real Christian, inverted commas, you need to go the whole hog. You need to be circumcised as well. That didn't go down too well, particularly with Paul, even though he was a Jew, because he said, it's not about faith plus works. Faith minus works is salvation, because faith happens through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But as a result of salvation, you produce works. So it's not faith plus works equals salvation, Any good mathematicians here today, you'll understand the equals and the plus sign. Faith equals salvation and the resultant works that come from that. That's what Paul was saying. So these Judaizers were were putting this really awful teaching around and making people feel guilty. Uh, At one stage, Paul calls them agitators. And at another stage, he he says that they were throwing the Galatians into confusion. He called, he called their teaching a perversion of the gospel. That's how serious Paul was about these people that were teaching this false uh, gospel to the Judaizers. And as a result, Paul wasn't very popular with them. He wasn't popular with this group of people that um, had taken the stand that you must be circumcised to be saved. You must be circumcised to be a real Christian. He wasn't popular with them. And so they attacked him on on a few different fronts. There were three things in particular that they said about Paul. They said that he was preaching a gospel of compromise. It wasn't the true gospel. You're only preaching half of it. Faith in Jesus, but the physical works have to happen as well. It was a gospel of immorality, they were saying. They were saying that that he was appealing to the Gentiles, that, that his gospel of grace, which Paul preached, was, the, uh, was giving people the licence to sin. That's what they were saying. And the third thing they attacked him on was that he didn't have any authority to preach the gospel. Who was he anyhow? Who was he anyhow that he could come out and teach this? One uh, commentator, James Boyce, he said this about Galatians in general. He said this, In the decade or so surrounding the year AD 50, the infant church was starting to drift. And I don't know if you understand what we're talking about. Drifting, it means 
moving away from the solid foundations. It's not what you do around a corner with the tyre squealing, guys. It's that drifting away and sometimes it's gradual, sometimes it's quick, but even after 10 years of the church being founded, there was this drift away from the solid foundation of what they'd been taught. And Paul was addressing that. So, uh, uh, James Boyce goes on. He says, it was heading away, it was drifting away, heading towards its first doctrinal crisis of that Christian era. When the gospel was being preached primarily to Jews by Jews, the development of the church progressed smoothly. So, to Jews by Jews. But as the ambassadors of Christ pushed out into largely Gentile, non-Jew communities and the gospel began to take root there, questions arose regarding a Christian's relationship to the law of Moses and to Judaism as a system. That's where these Judaizers were coming from because they didn't accept that the gospel could be given to the Gentiles as well as the Jews. They saw it as a Jew-only religion. Another writer commented, Paul feared the creation of two denominations, Jewish Christianity and Gentile Christianity. Paul didn't see a place for that and certainly neither did God. God didn't want to do that. So what was his purpose in writing this letter? His purpose was to teach wherever he went and to reinforce what he'd already taught in a prior visit to them, that justification by grace was through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Faith in Jesus Christ alone. Not by works. Faith first, then works. Some of us struggle with that. Some of us we think we need to do this and do this and do this to be acceptable to God. Do you know what? The only thing we need to do to be acceptable to God is to place our faith and believe in Jesus as Lord and Saviour of the world, as our Lord and Saviour. There's an old hymn that used to be sung and it had these words in it, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. We can't offer anything towards our salvation. It's through faith in Christ alone. In fact, history proves it. Uh, in the time of the Reformation of the Church, the Protestant Reformation of the Church, There were two mottos that were uh, spoken out loud and often in the time of the Reformation. They were in the Latin, they were were sola gratia, sola gratia, which means by grace alone, sol, grace, by grace alone, and sola fide, which means by faith alone, by grace alone, by faith alone. So even in the the, uh, times of the Reformation, people had to, the drift had gone so far away from the foundational truths of the scriptures that the reformers had to remind people, come back to the basis, come back to the truth. Don't worry about all the add-ons, come back to the truth. Faith in Christ alone, by grace alone. Now, who was Paul? Who was Paul? He was a, um, an apostle. Probably, probably compared to Jesus, he was the most important figure that we have in the New Testament in first first, uh, century Christianity. But he was a persecutor. That shouldn't be prosecutor. That should be persecutor. (laughs) Prosecutor defends, don't they? Sort of, no. But he was a persecutor. Ah, spell check didn't work on that one for me, did it? He went about trying to destroy people who believed in the way, people who believed in Jesus. And uh, in his previous life in Judaism, 
he intensely persecuted the church of God to the point where he sent people to prison where they died for their faith in Jesus. He was born around about the same time as Jesus, but he was born in the city of Tarsus, which if you think of that uh, map of Galatia, was towards the southern end of that map of Galatia in Turkey today. He was, brought, he was born in Tarsus, but he was raised, he was brought up in Jerusalem. So he became a well-known Jewish figure. In those days his name was Saul and he belonged to the tribe of Benjamin, so he was a Jewish descendant. He was probably named after that uh, famous tribe member, King Saul, that we read about in the Old Testament. Paul was a persecutor of the people of the way. He was present when Stephen was martyred, the first martyr that we have recorded in the scripture, the first person to die for their faith in Jesus. In Acts chapter 2 verse 20 he said, when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him or stoning him. That's how much of a persecutor he was. And after Stephen's death, Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison where they eventually died or were killed. Why is it important to know who Paul was? Because God changed his life dramatically. And he, throughout all of Paul's writings, he talks about the grace, the undeserved favour of God shown to him. We need to remember that, that nothing we do or have done in the past has deserved God's favour. It's entirely God's grace, God's favour shown to us. And we can accept that, we can receive it through faith in Jesus Christ. He was a former Pharisee, he was a former uh, religious leader. He studied under the uh, scholar Gamaliel, who was one of the top scholars, uh, university level if you like in our days. And he was the most honoured rabbi uh, of the first century. And Paul, uh, Saul rather, was being uh, groomed as his successor. Uh, Paul had wonderful knowledge about the Jewish system. He, he, he knew what the system stood for. He knew how the system operated. He knew what the truths of the Old Testament were. So Paul was being groomed in that model to become uh, an important rabbi in the Jewish faith. But God broke into Paul's life. And on the Damascus road, on his way to Damascus, you can read in Acts chapter 9, the church's worst enemy became a devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? Why? I asked myself, I was reading this and I thought, why does this happen? Now, ultimately God has a plan and I can trust in that. But I wonder if anybody was praying for Saul. I wonder who was there when Stephen was being martyred. Were there any believers there as well as Stephen? Were they seeing what was happening? Were they remembering remembering Jesus' words, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing? Were they praying for their persecutors? We don't know. The Bible's silent about that. But I guess that that could have been happening. God had a plan for Paul. Can you, can you just see God's plan working out there? One of, the, one of the worst enemies of the Christian faith radically changed so that all his energy, all his motive, all his desires were not against Jesus anymore but were for Jesus. Doesn't that blow your mind? What does that say to you and I today about the people that we give up on? that we stop praying for, we think, there's no hope for that person. How can that 
that, that lady, how can that guy ever become a follower of Jesus? We need to be praying that God's will be done, that God's plan will happen, that God will draw people to himself. We need to be praying for their salvation, however God might bring that about. Because often I look at my friends that are not believers at all and I think of their commitment to their families, I think of their commitment to their community, I think of their commitment to their jobs and I think if only God could utilise that, redirect it for his glory, for his purposes, they they would have an incredible ripple effect on the people around about them. Even when I've looked at giving up on praying for those people, God brings this sort of picture back to my mind and says, keep on doing it. Because if God can turn a Pharisee, if he can turn a persecutor of the church 180 degrees to be totally faithful and committed to the way, committed to the Lord Jesus, then God can do it with people today. Do you think that's true? He can. He can. We've just got to ask him to be working in people's lives. So he became... An apostle. What does that mean? Not not someone sent by men or by man, but someone sent by the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. An apostle is someone who's on a mission, who's been sent on a mission. It can be used for those who are sent out on a mission by the church or it can be used for those who are sent out directly by Jesus. That's who an apostle is. And, but for the Judaizers, they, their argument was that he wasn't equal to the 12 apostles. They saw the 12 apostles as having authority, but they challenged, they argued that Peter and the others had been commissioned by Jesus personally. They wouldn't accept the testimony of Paul, that he was commissioned by Jesus personally as well, but at another time. They were saying that, that, that he was... He was uh, self-appointed, if you like, as an apostle and yet he gave them much evidence that he had received a divine commission just like the other 12 had. So they questioned his authority. Paul mentions the resurrection right up at the introduction to his letter because there's no other way, no other way that he could be a spokesman for God if it wasn't for the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ the crux of our faith. When Jesus appeared to Paul on the way to Damascus, Jesus said to him very clearly, you can read this in Acts um, Acts chapter 26, he said, I am sending you to the Gentiles. So Paul became known as an apostle to the Gentiles. We know from history he went on three missionary journeys so that he might spread the gospel throughout that Roman Empire. That was God's plan for Paul. And as I look at my friends, as I look at my families that don't yet know Jesus, I think to myself, what's God's plan for them? What could they do for God? Because he's called us to himself, hasn't he? So he's got a plan for us. God's got a plan for us. And he's trusting us to hear his voice, to do his will. And as we read his word, God will speak to us and say, I have set you aside. I want you to be my messenger. You might not call me Apostle John or Apostle Phil or you know, Apostle Ted, but he, wants us, to go, he wants, to be, wants us to be on mission for him wherever we are so that we might take the good news with us. The gospel, what is it? The gospel is 
grace. That grace may come to us, that grace may come to people around us, that, this, that, that God's undeserved favour might be upon them. Did Jesus die just for us? No. He died for the whole world. But the whole world, but a lot of the world has got shutters on their eyes. They can't see the truth yet. We've had those shutters removed. We've had those scales removed. So we can see the truth of who Jesus is and willingly respond to him and obey him. But much of the world doesn't. And our purpose, I believe, is to help that the world understand what God's done for them. Paul writes, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father, of our God and Father. If we, if Paul listened to the criticism if, if, and the problem that the Galatian believers had was that they were listening to the criticism and Paul was trying to say, if, if you want to live by works, then you will lose the peace of God. If you want to live by works, you will lose that understanding that God has shown you his grace and you'll have no peace in your lives. And that's what they were struggling with. They, they weren't seeing God as active in the life of their churches that he had, as he had been in the previous years. Believe it or not, Paul didn't write it, but I, I reckon he's saying, you guys are navel-gazing rather than looking to the Lord Jesus. You're worried about yourselves rather than about what God wants for you and what God wants you to do. Because the gospel is about the, the glory must go to God. Not aren't we a great church, aren't we doing wonders in the community. It's, it's whether people are seeing God in the midst of that. That's what Paul was saying. To whom all glory be forever and ever, verse 5 says. There's no mention of what we do for God in those, that introduction. It's about what God has done for us. That's grace. That's what the Father has planned. The Father has planned for us to be obedient, but initially it's what he has done for us in sending the Lord Jesus as our Saviour. This is freedom. We don't have to tick any boxes. We don't have to say, I climbed the highest mountain, I pulled the tail feather out of the eagle and now I'm a Christian. No, that's doing it ourselves. We can say, Jesus did it in my place. He died for the penalty of my sin and my disobedience. I experienced the grace, the undeserved favour of God because of that. And that sets me free. Free to obey what God wants me to do for him. That's the challenge for us as we go through this book of Galatians to, to understand that freedom, to be free, to live free to show people that freedom that comes from knowing Jesus and not to be bound up by all the add-ons and the extras. Are you ready for the journey over the coming weeks? It will be a challenge. It's a challenge for me. Are you ready for the journey that says, I trust God that he will show me what to do, how to live, so that I will be free to, to obey him, free to serve him in the boundaries that he set for me. I'll be praying that way this these coming weeks. I trust that you will too. Can I encourage you that you take some time over these weeks to read through the, the book of Galatians a number of times and just jot down some notes of what verses that stick out to you, that, that what God might be saying to you personally. 
And there might be opportunities down the track for us to share, share that with one another. I pray that that's the case. Let's pray right now. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we're set free not only in, in 2023, but we're set free for life and for eternity when we place our faith in who Jesus is and what he's done. Lord, there are many people around about us that are bound up in, in the worries and anxieties of this world. Some of it creeps into our lives to the point where we drift away from those solid foundations of who Jesus is and what he's done. Lord, I pray that you'll draw us back to that solid truth, that foundational truth, that is faith in you alone, Lord Jesus, that gives us that, that, that purpose for every new day, that, that hope for eternity, and that gives us some answers to life that we are struggling with and that other, people's are, other people are struggling with. Father, I pray that this week and in the weeks ahead, as we get into the letter to the Galatians, that you'll open our eyes to who you are, what you've done for us and how you want us to live for you. And I pray that out of this, Lord, you'll change our lives, you'll, you'll strengthen us, you'll energise us, you'll equip us to serve you in greater ways. We want to do this not for our pride, but so that you might receive all the glory and the honour that's due to your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Pat.